you would please. John chapter 3. That's good news. Our sins are gone. Not just forgotten by us. Not just we got over the guilt feeling. But actually gone. No longer on the record. It has been expunged. It does not exist. Thank God for it. I'm glad. That's good news. John chapter 3. And I want to, this morning I've been looking forward to coming and bringing you a message on the beauty of John 3.16. And what a well-known verse. And yet, we've never plumbed the depths of it. And uh, what a beautiful verse. Uh, how it wraps all the grace of God into one simple statement. And it's an amazing verse. Uh, I like it. You know, some things, some things have a beauty so deep and vivid to them that it cannot be taken in at a glance. Really cannot. Uh, you can't just look at it and comprehend all that's here. Some things, their beauty and their depth is such it doesn't wear away when it, wear, wear away when it's gazed upon with fixed attention. Uh, I saw an illustration of this a number of years ago. My wife and I went away for just almost almost two weeks. We weren't gone quite two weeks. It's the last time we were gone that kind of length of time from here, and that was our 25th anniversary. We went away, and uh, we went up to Niagara Falls, went up to the uh, Canadian side of Niagara, which is, uh, I hate to say it, but that's the Purdue side of Niagara, as far as uh, having nice places and all that. And uh, through a series of mess-ups at the place where we had reservations, we ended up getting the uh, Junior Presidential Suite. That's something. Same price that we were getting the other suite, and it would have got the room we were going to get. And we were in a hotel that was looking over. You could see the entirety of the falls from it. And we ended up 42nd floor. Had the whole end wall of this place was glass. And it was neat. I love balcony out there and it had glass and such. And uh, it, was, it was quite a place. And uh, it was interesting. I got the room by just looking at the, looking at the different people who came out trying to take care of us. They messed something up. And I just stared at them. And wherever they offered, I said, not acceptable. Just like it. And they'd go back and get somebody else. they go, not acceptable. They'd come back. This is my 25th anniversary. We've traveled all the way. Not acceptable. Before it was done, we had, we had a room that was, I measured it because it was interesting to me, 24 feet wide, 40 feet long. It was, we had our own hotel complex for a while, way up on this place. I don't know how much that thing would have cost, but we had fun. We had paid for a cheap little room at the bottom, but we, we got that one before it was done. So if you ever want to upgrade, just learn to say not acceptable. And you can get it done. But uh, we were up there, and this thing of uh, never getting tired of a view, my wife was absolutely uh, fascinated by the uh, falls there, and I knew she would be. Neither of us had been there, but I knew she would be because she likes waterfalls, and she likes to go to the parks around here and such when the water's flowing and seeing the falls and that sort of thing. And uh, those falls, we'd sit there at that big glass wall. The whole end of that big room was glass, and... We would watch those, and it never looked the same twice. It never did, according to what time of day and the different things going on and the shadows and the rainbows coming up from it and all that sort of thing. And uh, you just kept looking at it and kept looking at it. I've not been out to our western mountains, but those who I know who have uh, describe that same type of thing with the grandeur of that or the Grand Canyon and the way it changes and it seems the colors change and that sort of thing. And so that's the idea of John 3.16. I wonder how many times we've quoted it in our Christian lives. I wonder how many messages those of us who've been in church a long time have heard preached from it. I wonder how many times we've said it or 
thought of it and had it come through our mind or how many times we've read it. And yet, it still has a beauty to it that is both sublime and inexhaustible with it. Um, John 3.16 has a type of beauty for our spirit. It communicates with us to God and from God to us. It shows that relationship and is within our spirit which has been regenerated. Our spirit which was born again, which was resurrected when we believed on Christ. And you have the capacity to believe or you have the capacity to reject. But when you believed on Christ, part of you that was dead and trespasses and sin, your spirit was made alive. And that resurrected spirit has an appetite. It has a longing. It has a, it has a predilication. It has a direction towards home. And that home is in glory. And uh, John 3.16 speaks to the spirit. John 3.16 speaks to the soul. That where your heart, your intellect, your will is. That which communicates between person and person. Uh, that which can appreciate and feels emotion of all different types. We see the agony of Christ in John 3.16. We see, the, uh, we see uh, God uh, uh, willing to give His Son for us. We see the Son willing to stand in our place. There's so much involved relationally within that one verse. And it has a beauty for that. And it talks about the highest, most noblest thing we'll ever, we'll ever understand, which is uh, a love that goes beyond caring for itself and cares for the object loved. A true love, an agape love, if you will. It also, uh, we see the body. It has a beauty for the intellect or the, the, the flesh and the mind and the intellect. Why? Because with the intellect, we look at it and we say, well, how much did God love me? And we look at John 3.16 and say, who needs more proof than that? You would not think for one moment you would be very perverse in your thinking if you would ever entertain going up to someone who obviously was a veteran and maybe they were missing a limb or maybe they had obvious signs of something that had happened to them while they were serving the country. You would not walk up to them and say, well, don't you care? I don't think you care much about this country. You'd be ashamed to even think of doing that, and you should be. Uh, why? Because they've proven something. Maybe you feel as strongly in your heart as they do about certain things, but they've proved it. They proved it with their body. The intellect does that. And, and, and when I'm reasoning and thinking and then the intellectual part that says, okay, what's God's evidence of love towards me? Uh, there's so many of them, but what greater one than this? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, I love you all as a congregation, and I'm saying this in all seriousness, no joke involved in it at all. I, I love you all as a congregation, have loved some of you all for many, many years, decades, and and known you, and we've grown up together, and that sort of thing. There's not one of you here I would give one of my boys for. So, preacher, that's callous. No, it's not. It's reality. If it ever came down to your life or theirs, I hope you're saved. <laughs> um, <laughs> you say well, that's not right. Actually, that is right. It's very right. That's why it's so incomprehensible, and the intellect that God said I would do this, I would do this, I would do this. And it's kind of, kind of amazing with it. Uh, what a beautiful verse. And so this morning, I want you to consider with me the beauty of John 3.16. First of all, I want you to consider the beauty of its placement. John 3.16 is the penultimate summit in a, in a mountain range of, range of grandeur. I want you to look at verses 14. We'll begin in John 3, verse 14. I want you to consider the, what's around John 3.16, and yet it, it soars above the, the rest that's around it so much. In John 3, verse 14, it refers to something which happened in the Old Testament. Something I won't take a lot of time to explain, but I'll give just a little understanding on it so that you'll get to how, how important it is. 
what was happening was God's people had so sinned against God and so, so angered God that what the Bible calls fiery serpents were sent among them. It didn't mean they were breathing fire. That term fiery is also used for the fiery darts of the wicked. And it is used in several places in the Bible. And it always shows something that can put poison or damage into your system. So these were poisonous snakes. Uh, the Russell's viper, the, the puff adder, and some other uh, snakes were, are indigenous to the area where this happened. They're very dangerous uh, serpents, some of them very deadly in their poisons. And um, they look like the ground looks in a, in a mostly sandy and rocky place. They, are, uh, they blend in well, and uh, so they're easy to miss you know, along the ground. And God's people sinned against God, and fiery serpents came among them, and people began to be bitten. And when they were biting, they began to swell up, they began to fall over, they began to die from this. And they were fearful, can you imagine? And I say this with all seriousness. Uh, many of you in here, uh, a snake is something you're very scared of. Some of you not. Some of you actually like them, and it goes uh, ranges the gamut among you. But can you imagine having little ones? Can you imagine having the infirm and the older with you? Can you imagine having your wife trying her best to climb to the top of your head to get away from them? But they had serpents around there. Uh, that that just uh, the the terror of that, and uh, people were being bitten. And and when uh, Moses and Aaron they went to God about the situation and pled to Him and cried out to Him. He said, here's what you do. He said, you take a serpent, you make a serpent, the image of a serpent, and you put it out of brass. You make it where it'll be bright in that sunlight, and you put it on a pole. It's where the scapulus, which is a sign for medicine, actually comes from this. And you take that, and you hold that up in the air. And he said, here's how people can be saved from those fiery serpents. After they're bitten, by the way, they can be saved from it also. He said, here's what you do. You hold it up. What they have to do is they have to look. They have to look. They have to quit trying to save themselves from the serpents on the ground. They have to quit. They have to quit trying to save themselves. And they have to look. And they have to look. And, and when he says when they do, that they'll be saved. And with that, that's what verse 14 is talking about. Let's look at it. It says, and as. It's going to show you a simile and, and, and that Christ is like this in a way. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That's what that's talking about, what I just said to you. Even so, in that same manner, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus Christ was most emphatically lifted up. One thing you need to understand about Calvary, also known as Golgotha, is, is a hill or a raised place. It's in a general place called Mount Moriah, which is actually where Abraham took his son Isaac. It's that same place. And there's a place called Calvary or Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. Even today, even though erosion is taking its effect on it, even today, you can discern the face of this mountain. It looks like a skull from the front of it. On that skull, there were placed three crosses. Mom told me not to climb on furniture. Mom's not here. We're going to do this for illustration. <laughs> and so this is what it feels like to be a tall preacher. This is pretty cool. Um, but they, but on, on, on Calvary, on Golgotha, which was already a place of eminence or a raised up place outside the city, there were three crosses put up. And on the center cross, which was raised up and dropped down, with what would have been wrenching pain and, and, and impact into the hole that was made for it. And when that cross was put there, Jesus Christ was hanging upon that cross. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And when Christ was hung upon that cross with nails driven through his hands, and don't get your fancy little books telling you they were up here, they were through his hands, it says it's engraved in his palm. You say, well, that would tear loose. 
they had these amazing inventions back then called ropes. And it was very common for them to be tied to the cross and then nailed to the cross with it. And so they had the, 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 the nails through his hands and through his feet. And he was there on that cross. And as a mediator, he literally, literally physically was suspended between heaven and earth. He was between God and man. He was taking on the full wrath of God's, God's punishment while he also was, was a, uh, a pleading or a mediator for God, uh, for man there while he was on that cross. And there he was. Uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he had lifted him up, put him up, up where people could see him, where they had to look up. They were trying to save themselves from the serpents, but they had to look up. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why, well, he's lifted up on the cross of Calvary. He was lifted up where we could see him. You have to see why Christ was crucified. You have to understand it was for your sins. Mine as well. Our sins, our particular sins. You say, well, I'm not that bad. You're not even a candidate for salvation, yet you're unrepentant. You have to understand your sins are what down from the cross. And so here he is, between heaven and earth. Why? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is what I'm talking about, the area around John 3.16. Let's continue reading. Look in the, in the passage. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever, whosoever, during time, most of you were looking at that illustration and watching it carefully. Sometimes you looked at something aside, maybe a person beside you or something like that. Just a couple of you didn't look up much during that time. But most of you were watching. Here's what it was. Whosoever. If you were out there in, among those serpents, if you looked up, you. You had the choice and you could look or not look, but you couldn't be saved without looking. And so it is with Christ. Your mom can't do it for you. Your dad can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your children can't do it for you. Whosoever. What? That individual person. Look what it says. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's a reference for Jesus Christ, be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in Him, believeth in who? In Jesus Christ, should not perish, but have, look at it, eternal life. Not the life that began on the date when you were born. I was born into this world on September 14th of 1964. But there was a date in July. I happen to remember mine. You don't have to remember yours. I'm glad I know what my date was. But on July 26 of 1980, I was born again by the Spirit of God. And, and that's the second birth. All that was born of that first, uh, as far as the flesh, the body, that was born in 1964 will have an ending point. It will die because it was born dying. But that which was born on July 26 of 1980 can never die. But that's the part inside me that will live forever. That's why every Christian actually, every Christian really is, is actually uh, uh, schizophrenic in a way. <laughs> You have a new you and an old you. And sometimes they fight against each other. They really do. That's part of the conflict you feel at times. You wonder why, as a believer, sometimes I feel conflict instead of peace. Because you have an old man and a new man. And the more you, more you gear everything towards that old man, the more he will fight against your new man. The more you gear everything towards that new man to learn and follow the Lord and do what's right in God's eyes, the more peace you'll have and the more victory you'll have over the old man. And so here it says, look again at it. It says that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have, present tense, possessive, right now, eternal life. Not once I get to heaven, I have it now. I'm just going to change locations. You understand what I just said to you? I don't get eternal life when I get to heaven. I have it now. Amen. I'm just going to change locations. See, this will have to be laid aside. 
This corruptible shall have put on incorruption. This mortal shall have put on immortality. That's what happens. Then look at verse 16. Look at how everything pivots around this. He explains everything he was talking about there and explains what will follow in just a moment. He says, for God, here's the reason. Here's the energy behind it. Here's the impetus behind it. Here's God's declared motive behind this. For God so loved the world. Why did He love that world? Because He created the world. Why did He love that world? Because He sees our broken condition. Because He knows the hurt. Because He knows what we feel. I can't imagine as a pastor, I have, I have multiple blessings through other people's lives and I also feel multiple burdens through other people's lives. Not that they're afflicting me with the burden, but I feel for people going through things, especially those who damage themselves and there's just no sense in it. The senselessness of sin is just appalling, whether it be in ourselves or someone else. But can you imagine as God looked at this, for God so loved the world, and uh, how much He loved it, and how much He made it, how much He wants it to be restored. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, matches that earlier one, whosoever, hey, you this morning, anybody, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, that's God's eternal decree, but have everlasting life. Thank God for it. Present tense possessive, I have it now. There are some religions that teach it is the sin of presumption to say that you know for sure you're going to heaven. Now let me tell you why that could be a sin of presumption. That could only be a sin of presumption. Presumption is that you trespass into something that isn't yours or isn't your business. You've stepped beyond your bounds. The only way it could be presumptuous is if you're working your way to heaven. See, if you think that your works get you to heaven, then it's presumptuous for you to say, I know for sure I'm going to heaven because what you're saying is, I know I'm good enough. But if you believe, as the Bible teaches, that Christ is your righteousness and what He did was enough and what Jesus did when He said it is finished and what Jesus showed of His power when He rose from the grave and defeated death and hell, if you believe that and take Him as His word, there's nothing presumptuous about that. That's called faith. Because you're not saying, look how good I am. I'm going to heaven. You're saying, look how good He is. He can't fail me. Completely different. It's only presumption if you're trying to work your way there. It says, verse 15, or 16 again, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then it tells God's operation of this motive. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's why He came. He didn't come to destroy. He came to save. That's why He came. Hey, He's going to come back and uh, there's going to be a judgment, but He's come to save. He said, hey, uh, I've come. Here, I'm, I've, come to, uh, I've come to make right and may give you a way through repentance and faith in Christ for you to make things right with the Lord. Then verse 18. He that believeth on Him, look at those next words, are precious, is not condemned. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Ah, that's an amazing place to be. Not condemned. Not condemned. I remember how good it felt in such a trivial matter to have been 
forgiven of a traffic ticket when I was a college student. I won't go into all the details of it. They were kind of humorous. Now, they weren't then. <laughs> and, uh, and I had to go to the traffic court, and I had, I had run a red light and, uh, and went through it, and, and uh, I was guilty of that. And I went in, and uh, the judge uh, decided, and he just he, he, he dropped the charges. He said, okay, we'll let you go. We'll let you go. Now, here's what he said to me. Here's the exact thing. He said, you're one of the students out there at that Bible college, aren't you? Well, that's great. You know, you're in, you're before a traffic judge for breaking a law. Oh, you're a Bible college student. You know, that's a beautiful testimony. And so I rather sheepishly, I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, he says, uh, I'm going to let you go. He said, it's double or nothing. I said, what do you mean? He said, you get stopped again, you'll pay this fine and the other. And so anyway, that's what he did. There were a lot of flaws in that. Number one, if it had been uh, if it had been just the fact that I was a Bible college student, I was dressed nicely and I clean cut, should not have entered into the judge's rendering. It should have just been a matter of law. Now, I'm not saying I'm upset by his choice not to give me the ticket, but I'm just telling you that wasn't just because uh, the next person after me was a rather scruffy looking individual and such, and I even heard the tone of the. Uh, judge's voice was different as he started talking to him. And so here this fellow was. Why should he be judged more harshly because his appearance was different than somebody else's? See, that's not justice. And, but I'm, I, was, I was glad to be off. I was glad to be free from it, but it wasn't under good terms. Oh, by the way, also, I knew for a year after that, if I ran through another light, it was going to be very expensive. That double or nothing didn't sound good for me. And, uh, and so that wasn't good, was it? But I was glad I didn't pay that ticket right then. Uh, that's not the way God's forgiveness is. I'll tell you how God's forgiveness is. If that judge had been, had been like God in that situation, and again, I was glad not to get the ticket, you know what he would have done? He would have set aside his robes as a judge. He would have went down. He would have found me guilty because that would have been honest. I was guilty. I pleaded guilty. You said, why did you plead guilty? Because I was guilty. <laughs> and he, uh, he would have found me guilty, but then you know what he would have done if he'd been like God did? He'd have taken his robes off and he'd have went down. He said, here, I'll pay this for you. Paid that ticket. And then you know what? The ticket's paid for. It's gone. It's cleared. I don't have to think about it again. It's paid for. It's done. That's what God did for me when he saved me. Oh, but he could, you know, if he'd done that and said, here, I'll pay this for you. I'll pay my own bill. I'll make my own way. I don't need your help. No, buddy. You want to pay for it? It's all yours. Hallelujah. That, that would be like God did. He didn't do that. He forgave me. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, no, I did not run a red light again until uh, I was not in traffic court again until many years later when I was the pastor here. And then I pled for mercy and found there was none, and I had to pay that ticket. But the uh, but what happened was the uh, <laughs> but it was interesting anyway. Um, what happened? God, God, the judge, God, the judge, who's the only one who can judge and who must judge. You have to understand that if there's no judgment, there's complete chaos. There can be no beauty. There can be no safety. There can be no security without judgment. There can be nothing of beauty or stability without it. If every man can do that which is right in his own eyes and there's no restraint, it's complete disaster. So God is the judge of what he did. If you allow me to use the illustration, he set aside his robes of judgment, robed himself instead of flesh. That's what John 3.16 is about. And he came to this earth. Why? To bear our punishment. And he did it. And by the way, the payment was effective. Why wouldn't you accept that payment? That wouldn't make any sense at all. 
payments are freely offered, so freely given. And once you do, guess what? It's people. I can't be. They can't uh, come uh, from up there in uh, St. John, Indiana. They can't. They can't issue a, a warrant for me and you know extradite me from Ohio and take me back if I go through Indiana and get stopped for something. They can't pull that up. Why? Because it that thing there was it, it was passed. You know, if that ticket is passed, that ticket is paid for. That sort of thing. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Time of limitation went off. Something is more beautiful. I can't be called back in Lancaster for the one I had to pay. Why? Because I paid the $85 that cost me. Is what it cost me that day. It's paid for. It's done. It's done. And God's paid for it. it. Christ had paid for it. Why would you not accept His payment? He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Verse 18 again. But he that believeth on not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why they were drawn to the darkness. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. The beauty of its placement, and we see that. Then let me say to you uh, this morning, the beauty of John 3.16 is the beauty of its person. I've talked a lot about him already. That God the Creator would become man. I'll give you something that will help you with your witnessing. In in Acts 1.8 it says, You shall be witnesses unto me. The thing we're witness unto is how good Jesus is. As we're talking to people about their souls, we should always come back to the subject of Jesus Himself. Amen. That's the issue. Who He is. Why He came. What He accomplished. How, how merciful He is. We'll be witnesses unto Him. That's important with Him. It's the beauty of His person. That God the Creator would become man. This is a song the choir is singing tonight. And... But you know the song, most of you, many of you do, probably the vast majority of the congregation, but think on these words that were written by John Wesley and, and uh, are so powerful. I love the song. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me who Him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die? For me. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite in his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed Thee. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Consider the beauty of the person that Jesus Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. He not only was not sinful, He was not deceitful that He would die for us. That He who he would submit Himself as He did to all that He did on our behalf and thank God for it. I love, I love it. And then we have the beauty of its promise. You have the beauty of its placement there in John chapter 3. You have the beauty of the person, Jesus Christ Himself. It's Jesus I'm asking you to believe on this morning. It's Jesus I'm asking you to think about this morning. It's Jesus I'm taking the Word of God and opening 
for you to think more and be encouraged by and be strengthened by this as your Savior. You have loved ones you miss, you long for. This is the one who has them. If they knew Christ, if they knew Him here, they know Him there. If they were securing Him here, they're securing Him there. Thank God for that. You can trust, trust them to Him. And then I see the beauty of its promise. The promise is both general and specific. Let's look again, not be tired of looking at verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The promise is general and specific. It's general. That whosoever... I've mentioned that already. I've talked to you about it. Whosoever... You're not going to take the gospel to the wrong person. Away with this teaching of an elect few and all that. It's nonsense. Whosoever. Whosoever. So how do I know? You don't know who it is. I don't know. I I know this. I take the gospel to him. Whosoever. Whosoever. I'm working right now down a couple different roads out in our county. I was out on two different roads yesterday. I'm going to go by the houses. You know how many houses there are? You get out in the country area, which is where I'm focusing my time right now. You know where the, where the you go so so many houses, families living there, people living there. Met a young lady I knew her mom and dad from years ago. Make reconnection with them. The last I knew the mom, she hadn't received Christ. The dad was a Christian man, and I'd lost track of him. I found him, found where they are. They're out in the county. And this young lady comes to the door, and I said, "Is this where Sonsa lives?" Yes, that's my dad. And I'm looking at her, thinking, "Oh my, time flies," and uh, I'd never met her. Why? Because she wasn't part of the family last time I saw that family. A long time ago. They just came to my mind the last couple months and I had to track them down. And uh, she's 17 years old. Leave there. Going down to other places, looking, dealing with people, going up, talking to people and such. I'll tell you what, all of them, whosoever. Whosoever. The Gospel's for whosoever. That young lady, whosoever. It's for each. People who help me find them, whosoever. is each. One fellow to help me find him. Fellow first name of Travis. Got to talk to him about whosoever. Got to talk to whosoever. Whosoever. Why is it? It's general. It's general. I'm glad it's general. I'm glad it was me. I'm glad my name wasn't in there. I really am. I saw a thing yesterday. I was just watching a little thing. It had something to do with bicycle. I thought it would be interesting. And it had, uh, it had the beginner, amateur, and pro. And it was just some tips, right? And they said, here's our beginner. The guy comes out, obviously overweight, kind of purposely walking sloppy. He says, our beginner's name is Phil. And I thought, <laughs> I don't like this video. And uh, <laughs> Well, there's another one out there. When we first came in town, I was getting calls from the hospital about a doctor's bill that was not mine, that they said, you need to pay this. There was another Philip Manning, but he had a different middle name than I did. So I always, everything I put my middle name on, uh, but I'm sure there's probably another one with just my old name there. Probably somewhere in this wide world. So I'm glad it's general. I'm glad it's whosoever. Hey, if it said, uh, uh, if, it said uh, if Andrew shall believe on the Lord, well, what Andrew? Was that just Andrew in the Bible? What Andrew? I know other Andrews. Maybe that was Andrew Beard. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's somebody else. I don't know. Which one? But whosoever. Hey, whosoever. I can get in on that. I'm part of whosoever. You say whosoever. That, I wear that tag. I'm a whosoever. I got in on whosoever. Whosoever. It's general. Thank God for it. That means it's for your coworkers. That means it's for your loved ones. That means it's for your neighbors. That means it's for the people who who serve you in a restaurant. That means it's for the people you see in business. That's for your mechanic. That means a tow truck driver, which some of you know way too well. That means for, hey, that whosoever, 
and whosoever. And then it's general, but it's also specific. It's specific as to who. Look what it says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him. It's specific as to who. Not just somebody who feels some sentimentality towards God. Not just somebody who feels like maybe they're a spiritual person. But believeth in Him. Not just believeth. I never go by the thing and say, I'm a person of faith. I never take that title. I won't take that title. I don't like that title. You say, why? Faith in what? A person who believes in the sevenfold path of enlightenment through the teachings of Buddha could be called a person of faith. Strictly speaking, an evolutionist is a person of faith. What they have is not demonstrable in scientific study as far as origins go, so they're a person of faith. But I'm not a person of faith. I'm a person who believes in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. I believe that Jesus Christ as revealed in this Bible is actually the Savior of the world. God incarnate. God the Creator come in the flesh who did what He said He'd come to do to seek and to save that which was lost. That's who I believe in. It's very specific. That for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, in Him, not in a system of doctrine, not in a Baptist church, not in some uh, a baptism or a sacrament or whatever, but in Him, in Jesus Christ. It's a hallmark and it's, it's, it's a telling sign of people who claim the name of Christ but are really have the mindset that they're doing enough good to get to heaven. They're works people who have taken on the outward appearance of someone who believes on Christ. They're fooling themselves. Here's a hallmark of their speaking. When you talk to them about why they know they're saved, if you talk to them about why they know they, they have a home in heaven, they'll start telling you about the good they have done or the bad they haven't done. They'll start talking to you about their faithfulness. They'll talk, start talking about how much they love their family. They'll start talking to you about their good moral character. They'll start talking to you about maybe their religious involvement of one type or another. Maybe they're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe they're a deacon. Maybe they've done this or done that or done the other. And it will always come back to this, well, I do this and I do that and I believe in Jesus. Whereas a true believer in Jesus Christ comes down one thing, well, you know you're going to heaven because Christ is my Savior because of what He did. They just, that's it. They realize they have nothing else to offer. Ah, that's, that's, the, that's the real clear, clear testimony of someone who's saved. What is it? Specific as to who? And then specific as to what? Look at the verse one more time. The, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, two beautiful parts as the specificity of what, whosoever believeth in Him, what's the next little phrase? Should not what? Perish. Should not perish. See, death is not annihilation. Death is separation. When dying, the internal part of you, your spirit and your soul are separated from the outside part, which is your body. There's a second death the Bible talks about, which is a separation from your spirit, your soul, as it were, that is separated from the presence of where God wants you, which is in heaven with Him, and that is called a second death. By the way, when we receive Christ, the second death has no power over us. That first death does. Although there will be a generation that will hear the trumpet and it will be changed. We won't have to go through death to heaven, but we'll go be changed like Enoch was. That's the picture of it in the Old Testament. If you don't know about Enoch, it said he walked with God and he was not. He could not be found. What happened? He was translated. That's the Bible word. God just changed him so he could come right to be where he was. And some of us maybe will get that. I don't know if this is a generation or not. 
and neither do you. Neither does anybody who's published any book and, uh, or put out any YouTube or anything like that. But here's the thing about it. Uh, what happens, this body, it says, should not perish. We will not be annihilated. We're not, we won't go in. This body won't perish. I won't perish. I, I, I won't do it. I don't face the second death. Uh, people say, well, when I stand before the great white throne judgment, if you stand before the great white throne, you are lost. Great white throne is for people who are going to hell and to the lake of fire. Death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. They, that's lost people. That's a judgment of the final tallying of all, all the wickedness and facing what's going on with it. Not only what you did, but who you influenced were wrong and all that. That follows you. What we stand before is, is the judgment seat of Christ. Where we're receiving this body, the things done, we're receiving the things done in this body, whether they be good, whether they be evil. That's an accounting term. That's the idea of we stand before Christ and God, Christ said, I gave myself for you. I, I, I gave myself for you. How did you use the life I gave you? What did you do with it? See, that's very, very much good. Uh, Brother Carpenter, of course, uh, is a direct employee of myself here at the church. And, and, and so we will have things. We have our Wednesday meeting. And uh, just had recently, I said, all right, let's see the books of everything as we're closing things out. I want to know where things are. I want to know what's going on. He's super good at doing it. Brings them in. Puts it out there. Here's an accounting. What's going on with that? Uh, Sister Holly with the job she's doing now with the, the, the ministry coordinator. I sat down this last week for just a moment. We were very busy on Monday. And that's when most, uh, usually Ms. Shelton's here and Holly and all of them are working. And I sat down and I say, okay, what have you got accomplished on our startup? Where are you at on our records? What have you got copied over? What do you have done? There's specific things I gave her to do. Here's your job description. We sat down and I looked at her, not mean or anything, but it's very much a business meeting. How did, what are you doing? What's going on with this? I turned to Ms. Shelton. I said, okay, did you get these things mailed out? Did you check these? Has this been going on? Have you contacted these? I sat down with the list. Are these reservations made for conference? Are these reservations in place? Have you contacted? This is the way it is. Why? Because of taking account, these are employees. I'm, this is the business end of the church. We're running things. I'm saying, okay, let's, uh, how are we? What's going on? What's going on with this? Do you understand the Lord saves you? He loves you. And yet he says, look, I bought you. What did I get for what I paid? What have you done with the life I gave you? How did you how did you live it? How did you behave with it? And he's so gracious to us. He allows us to enjoy so much of it. I've act all of it actually if it's it's yielded to him. But he said, Did you live for me? Did you remember me? How about what we've had on the sign this week? Many of you driving from this direction saw it. In everything give thanks. We know that verse, don't we? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How did we do on the will of God this week? Did we give thanks to God? We ought to do that. We ought to be a thankful people. So it's specific as to what? Should not perish, but not only that, look at the rest of the end of the verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, the second part of it being specific, but have what? Everlasting life. Uh, you need to dare to believe that. You need to dare to believe that you're secure. Because the only place you can grow is in grace. I'm not every day. Uh, I'll meet people, and sometimes it's just bad theology. They actually have trusted Christ, but they've got bad teaching in their brain, and it, it harasses them. You can have bad teaching in your brain, and you still have believed on Christ. And, uh, and if, if you wonder about that, talk to me about some of that. I'll help you with that. Or as I said down in Kentucky, I'll help you with it. Um, but, but listen. There's some people, uh, they know they've trusted Christ. When you pin them down about it, can you work your way to heaven? No. 
I, I, how are you going to? It's because of Christ. That's my intention. But then they say, oh, I hope I make it. Yeah. But there's bad teaching. They, they, their, their family's been taught a certain way. They've been brought up around certain doctrine. Maybe, maybe just in their person, they're, they're afraid to claim and believe the promise that's so astounding and so powerful. Maybe uh, because of where they are in their life, and God can definitely help them with this, maybe they're afraid to believe that they're completely loved. There could be a lot of reasons for it. And, uh, but whatever the reason may be, I challenge you this morning by the Word of God, if you do trust Christ as your Savior, if He is your Savior and you believe on Him today, dare to believe that you have everlasting life. Dare to believe that you do not get up every morning and God decides whether or not you belong to Him. It's settled! You ever meet somebody that can't make a decision? They're always rehashing it. And after they make the decision, did I make the right decision? Did I make the right decision? Drive you nuts. Make a decision. Go forward with the decision. Live with the result. If it was wrong, blame somebody else. It's a simple formula. No, <laughs> don't do that last one. But you, you just go ahead with things. Uh, but in, God, in people's spiritual life, they never get off the treadmill. Well, I wonder, have I done enough? No, but I've messed up some things. Some things, wow, huh, that's probably not an accurate evaluation. Uh, well, I've not always been exactly honest. In other words, you're a liar at heart. Yeah, you're a human being. The Bible says that about you. You have to watch your, in fact, you'll lie to yourself if you're not careful. I'm not saying you lie about everything. I'm just saying it's there. You have the capacity. God's the only one who cannot lie. Dare to believe that God didn't this morning get up and say, well, they've been good enough today. Did they do enough this week? Did they belong to you? That was settled on Calvary. He did it not because of our goodness, but because of His. It's cared for. When Jesus said it is finished, dare to believe that it is finished. What did they find in the tomb? I'm not talking about His grave clothes, which were there. As far as the person of Jesus Christ, what was left in the tomb after the resurrection? Nothing, right? Last time I checked, we are accepted in the Beloved. Last time I checked, we are in Christ. Guess how much of you has been left in death? Guess how much of you is still in that tomb? Nothing! Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hey, it's a reality. When you dare to believe that, you can start growing in this marvelous, rich soil called grace. My stepdad was excellent at growing things. The neighbors used to joke about him. His name's Carl. They said, yeah, Carl's garden is such. If you drop a nickel in it, it'll be a quarter by the time you pick it up. You know, I don't think that was exactly true. I would be willing, you know, if that really worked, I'd be glad. Um, but he was very good. I remember one time one of the neighbors, uh, I say neighbors, we, we were out in the country, but lived in that down those roads, down Fudge Road there, they uh, came and said, hey, Carl, can I have one of your cabbages? He was growing cabbages. And, uh, yeah, sure, be glad to do it. They called him Harpy. And they said, Harpy, can I have one of your cabbages? And uh, he gave him cabbage. Sounded like this one. He gave it to him. It was representative of some of his better ones. He came later. He was fussing at the house. He goes, you know, so-and-so. And, and my mom, I still remember the conversation. I'm just listening. She goes, yeah. He said, I'll tell you what he did. He said, that cabbage, he asked before I wondered why he went to cabbage. He said, he took it to the Preble County Fair and won the Blue Ribbon with my cabbage. <laughs> he loved gardening. 
He worked that soil and all that sort of stuff, and he, he did a good job with it. And everything would grow. But you know why? Because it was good soil. It was bottom soil down near Ackerman Creek, but it was also properly, properly worked. It, he knew how to put things, space things, take care of things and all that. There is a wonderful, rich soil which will grow you beyond your, your expectations, beyond what you dare to think or believe you can actually become in Christ. There's a rich soil called grace. And grace is where you understand that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whosoever believeth should not perish, but have possessed everlasting life. There's a beauty to John 3.16. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank You for the beauties of the Scripture.